0: hello everybody and welcome to the pandemic professors podcast this is episode 32 which is just absolutely insane Um, and we are here today to continue to talk about all things academic during a global pandemic we are still taking the virus very seriously uh, but we are trying to laugh along the way And we have an excellent guest with us today. Um, I am Kelly Bowling, And I'm Carol Pardun. And Carol, who do we have with us today?
1: Well, Kelly, today I'm very excited, as I am every time we have a guest. But I say, this time I'm really excited. And this time I am really excited. Because um, today we have Vicki Johnson in the house. And um, Vicki is a professor um, of film and media studies at the University of California at Irvine. Did I say that right? Or is it University of Southern California Irvine? There's a lot of, it's one of those California schools. (laughs) It's one of those California schools. Um, And Vicki and I go way back. We knew each other when we were both faculty members at the University of North Carolina. Um, and she's just a fantastic human being, and her research and things that she thinks about are just so incredibly interesting. And so, we have not talked to a single person um, from California yet to see how the pandemic is holding up on the West Coast. So, yeah. Vicki, thank you for joining <laughs> us today.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so great to be here. Uh, it's really great to talk to you, Carol, and so nice to meet Kelly.
0: Yeah. And Vicki, I would love to hear exactly that. How are things on the West Coast? Let's just start there.
2: So it's been... Uh, uh, <laughs> we are are returning to the most restrictive shutdown i believe by six o'clock tonight Um, wow! uh, we, we had been for they're saying for 21 days or through the end of the year basically um we had been a little bit more opened up um especially here in orange county but things look to be uh The hospitals are very much overwhelmed right now. And the numbers have gotten really out of control on the daily uh, since before, right before Thanksgiving, between Halloween and Thanksgiving. Things really picked up again in terms of viral load. So uh, we've been very much just Zooming and going to the grocery store. That's about it um, ourselves. and. So uh, you know that not everyone has followed suit, but um, right,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, it's and so- hard to imagine the other side of this, given that people sort of insist on their own selfish,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. actions, um, yes. So haven't we all learned a lot about humanity in the past nine months? It's been a real wake-up call for me, I will say.
2: It's yeah. so More than so I want so to know. Yeah. yeah, so much of my work is about um, the fact that we don't tend to give credit to people for being as smart as they really are. And then something like this happens. <laughs> right, right. Without you <laughs> your entire life's
1: work on someone <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so many levels, right? <laughs> and so you guys are on the quarter system, as I recall. Is that yes. right? Yeah. That's and so right. you're just um, starting a new quarter. Is that right? No, no. Well, so we had sort of one
2: advantage in the um, COVID teaching context, which was that um, We were at the very end of our winter quarter when everything shut down the first time. And so we really just had to strategize how we were going to handle final exams for winter quarter. I was teaching a large lecture class, so I was able to offer folks their average, which was 80% average going into the final, um, which was very helpful. Uh, But um, our spring quarter, we had an entire spring quarter online. So unlike most of our colleagues on semesters, we had already done one entire uh, course, quarter online. So fall seemed like a pretty logical migration. So I think a lot of the sort of really stressed out frenetic energy about creating a course for online teaching happened when we would have been on our quarter break. Uh, between winter and wow. spring, oh yeah, the people yeah. were very fried during spring quarter because we <laughs> had to all learn how to be online instructors. Yeah, and yeah. Thing, but also the students were understandably incredibly traumatized. We had a lot of yeah. students who had signed housing contracts yeah. and owed all of this money and like weren't let out of their leases and um, of course health issues. And so uh, it was really, I think spring quarter, we learned a lot about uh, a kind of culture of care around our teaching Mm -hmm. that people had been invested in before, but now was like required of everyone. So that, that need to carve out time for self-care and also to have a kind of additional reserve in terms of emotional labor with students was, was pretty heavy in the spring. Um, and I feel in the fall, then um, the students came back with a tremendous amount of energy and familiarity. Like we now we know, we know what we're doing on zoom. We know what works, we know what doesn't. Uh, but then I think by week six, everybody was just, is just so kind of burned out on yeah. the situation that, a lot of energy was, you know, and that, and and then it picks up again because we're we're in our last week of classes next week, and then finals. Yeah. So there will be. I think everyone feels it's our first break this coming quarter break in December. Uh, two weeks will be our first kind of time off since this time last year.
1: Wow. Yeah, and then it's not really time off because you got. Yeah. Next. Quarter slapping you Prepared right in the face. The next quarter,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I would say that's you know uh, the the complaint about the quarter system is yeah. that it is relentless in terms of time. It all evens
1: out to be the same amount of time, yeah.
2: and it's just the way it's distributed. It feels more frenetic somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've you know I've been on the quarter system and the semester system. I don't know from a COVID perspective which one um, I would prefer. So we're still in the semester. Um, classes are over now exams are starting um, so I've got two exams next week and then um, and then I hope I finish my grading before my mandatory furlough begins <laughs> and oh, for um, the required pay cut that um, I have to um, go through in December 14th through 18th, where I'm not allowed to talk about the university or with the university or anything <laughs> else um, official, which kind of cracks me up on any number of levels. But, oh, wow. um, but, you know, it just, it seems to me that students, yeah, you know, we talk about self-care, we talk about all this extra stuff and, I think, you know, professors are sort of like, yeah, we're done with this. And, you know, just don't really want to hear much whining from the students anymore about how difficult life is because, <laughs> um, and granted, maybe everyone is more compassionate than I am, but I want to, every time a student tells me that, I want to say, um, excuse me, let me explain to you <laughs> what my life is like right now, right? Um but you sound more compassionate, Vicky, than I. Um.
2: It's, it's, I would say it's it's not it's not that because honestly, I feel I've felt for a couple years now as if there's I don't know how to put this. There's a kind of slippage between understanding the sort of what professors who we are and what we do, as opposed to say um, your favorite high school teacher. Yes, um, yes, and yeah. and there's a way in which. I I mean, I get that. I understand why the students want that kind of level of investment and care, but that's not what I do. Yeah. Um, I will say the difference here is that I think geographically um, and demographically, we have had so many students intimately affected by COVID. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And in, in, Housing situations where, like, the tech is just not available,
1: right, um, and things
2: like that. That it it has felt really traumatizing for them in ways that. Because I also find that, and and I know I think we talked about this back in the day at Carolina Carol that um, the students who are dealing with the most crisis tend to not be the most vocal.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. Right? I yeah. mean,
2: because they're really already used to just uh, putting one foot in front of the other, managing yeah.
1: things, yeah. like
2: helping to pay the mortgage while holding down a couple jobs while, you know, full time in school. And you don't actually hear about it from them right so yeah yeah. more in this particular situation i feel like the students who's who have always been more burdened have actually found a bit of a voice around it perhaps Mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah so that that has been different for me but i've also been very fortunate to have happened to be scheduled to teach a small undergraduate seminars since this thing started. Oh, which yeah. isn't, which isn't also what I usually teach, right? I mean, I, a large lecture course I do every other year, at least sometimes every year, uh, yeah. finished in winter. So I was very fortunate in terms of the course design and things like that. Um, and then also because i had relatively few students for me uh, to get to know their situations quite well
1: yeah but i do feel
2: like i'm on our campus uh personnel committee right now and i I think one of the things we've definitely been talking about is the ways in which you know all these uh sort of zoom trainings and things about teaching and care uh during this time it's uh disproportionately female faculty and faculty of color who are in those meetings. Yeah, boy, that's a good um, point, yeah. And yeah. and taking on that load, which frankly, they already take on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
2: it's sort of amplified the ways in which people get
1: overburdened and fried to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah, boy, all of that is such a good perspective on things. So now I'm feeling kind of guilty.
0: Um. No, not at all. And it really is. We have a very
1: we have a very unusual demographic.
2: Um, yeah. Even yeah. within even within the University of California, like um, we're we're a high financial need, high first generation yeah. uh, Latino serving uh, institution, and it's which is a wonderful like place to be. Um, but it also means that in a situation like this, um, you, you kind of are, uh, I guess the, the positive is that students who maybe in the past didn't feel they had a voice are, are being more vocal about yeah, things yeah that have come up.
1: Yeah, that's true. That, that's a good point. And I will say that for all the whining that I've done this semester, and Kelly knows she's, <laughs> she's heard me <laughs> whine plenty of times, but I have been you know, periodically fairly amazed at how um, inventive and resilient the students have been. Um, So I'm just thinking we just went through um, two weeks of research presentations and um, all on Zoom and Um, And we've been meeting in the last, you know, several weeks just asynchronously. So, you know, this is, I told the students, you got to show up at 830 in the morning for these research presentations. And, you know, I had all sorts of students who were like, you know, technology was down. So they jumped in the car and ran to the closest Starbucks or, you know, they did everything they could think of and every, you know, they all... Figured it out, um, and you know some of them figured it out in pretty humorous ways um, as they were, you know, checking in and ready to do their presentation. So I was proud of them that um, that they all. Figured out a way, figured out where to go to get technology that was that was working. But um, but it is disconcerting when we're we're dependent so much on the technology and it doesn't work. We have this happen even on our campus periodically, and like you know, we really need to get it right on campus. Um, yeah, it,
2: um, <laughs> yeah. We had a thing. I, I there's a UCI I has a faculty housing subdivision, which is oh. a, Incredibly necessary, given the uh, yeah. geography around us in terms of the housing market, and but one of the things that was discovered is when you send all of the faculty to teach from home, uh, it turns out the neighborhood Wi-Fi uh, system got taxed like <laughs> oh, really gosh. quickly, really quickly. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah. We had a lot of tech trucks in the neighborhood for
1: a good, but so far so good. For Yeah. I don't know why know. that is really funny to me, but it's funny to it me. Funny yes. <laughs> that, no, right. Can't you just, I'm envisioning these houses of faculty all lined up, right. And all, you know, <laughs> everybody's zooming and yelling out the window all at the
0: same time. <laughs> wow. uh, so Vicky, uh just to take it to a little bit more of a lighthearted topic. Did I hear you also got a pandemic puppy?
2: Well, so yeah, we didn't want to be those people, but we (laughs) Uh, we, uh, we've been talking about getting a dog since we first met. Uh, My husband and I have been together, what, nine years, ten years? Um, And uh, we, and then we thought, oh, well, now we don't want to do it because it'll just look like we're we're bandwagoners, but I I have a, a close friend and colleague who Uh, I had been following different rescue organizations on Instagram and so forth for a couple years now. And I just followed up with her and I said, Hey, did you adopt from X and such? And she got back to me immediately. And she said, but I have this friend uh, who puts matches people with dogs. It's like a doggy Yenta. And um, (laughs) she she used to be on the board of the, uh, and maybe still is actually of the rescue organization my friend adopted from, but she basically works with dozens and dozens of rescue organizations um, oh. and she found, she texted, immediately texted back the picture of this like dog that it was like the dog of my dreams. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, she never even met me. She just heard a description of uh, us from my, our mutual friend and in Insta responded with this picture. And so the, like the next weekend we went to meet this puppy and yeah, he'd been tied to a pole in Barstow, oh, California, no. <laughs> and had accidentally gotten into some poison. Um, so they thought he had parvo, and they but they oh, took him in, and he, he was not only fine, he's super smart, um, oh. very athletic. And so, yes, we now have Finley, our oh, lab, and we precious. think Bishla Mix. So... Okay. He's, he's a great, great dog. Very much a puppy. Very much. Yeah. A, five months old. Uh, everything's chewable. Oh, yeah. And uh, lots of curiosity. He's already figured out how to take
0: his entire toy box off the shelf. Oh, <laughs> precious. So what made him your dream puppy? Like... How did she nail that right away?
2: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I just from Miranda's description of us. Um, my husband's a triathlete by avocation, and um, I, I I like to think I'm fairly athletic. And uh, we'd always been big dog people uh, as kids. We had big dogs growing up. Although I did have a beagle who was <laughs> yeah. a very wonderful dog. Um, <laughs> Beagles are only loyal to those with food. So
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. well, labs, on the other hand. So yeah. Exactly. Um, I
0: got one of each of those. <laughs> so I think
2: I said something to my friend along the lines of uh we want a dog that will run with us but also sit and watch TV.
0: Oh, there you
2: go. <laughs> oh, wow. And not, you know. Uh, given that I'm a TV professor, and not be cranky about that, so um, yeah, he's got a wonderful disposition, and as long as he gets enough exercise, uh, you know, very happy I think. So, so Kelly, oh, don't you fantastic.
1: wonder um, if if this matchmaker, what kind of dog? If the dogs that you have, if they, would that right? <laughs> they belong to you?
0: <laughs> I know. Would she have matched me to our dogs? Or both of ours are rescues. One is some kind of a hound dog mix (laughs) she's like she looks like an overgrown beagle with the wrong ears and the (laughs) other one is um he he is a beautiful he looks like a red-headed golden retriever um Mm. but every time we take him somewhere people assume that he's an irish setter oh yeah and they're both three years old um and the they can they're big enough to jump up on the counter and take things Oh, yeah. Um, and so the redheaded, uh, whatever he is, ate one of my biscuits this morning. Um, and he's just so freaking cute that I kissed <laughs> well, him. This is the was- thing.
2: This, is a thing. I, I, this dog is so attractive and he's knows. Really- yeah. Um, and yeah, he is definitely. That guy, he and he's apparently there is a color of lab known as the red fox lab.
0: Oh wow! Um, which yeah,
2: but we just assumed he might be Vishla mix just because of his his sort of body um, and the coloring. But yeah. yeah, he's really beautiful, and he kind of knows it. He like stops oh, yeah. and looks in any reflective <laughs> medium,
0: <laughs> <That is laughs> he, checks himself
2: out. You're <laughs> satisfied. Generally.
0: That is awesome. Well, so that was, that leads into my second question. You said you wanted the the dog to be able to sit and watch TV with you. So as a you know professor and researcher of film and television, surely you've had plenty of time to research during the pandemic. Uh,
2: yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, I, I feel very fortunate that uh, I had all of my archival work for my most recent book project in hand.
1: Yeah, uh, and all of yeah. the
2: library materials in hand before yeah. summer. Um, and my timing for once on my writing calendar was perfect um, yeah. because yeah. I have a lot of <laughs> colleagues who, you know, were like planning sabbaticals in archives, right, this year, oh, um, no. or had fellowships lined up that reco- you know, were in archives and have had to suspend that. And I mean, that's just a tremendous loss um, to not be able to do that work. I think our library has bent over backwards to try to digitize extra resources for people, but I just feel like my timing was really good. So now my other projects are kind of, I sort of have the material I think I need, Um, but in terms of watching TV, yeah. uh, <laughs> We've been working our way through things that are kind of like comfort foodie, like uh, prior seasons of Top Chef. That you know, oh, I love Top had, Chef. Yeah. 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 Um, so things you like watch, that.
0: You uh, Great British Baking Show?
2: You know, I did uh, a while back. I, I'm fortunate to be on the uh, one of the subcommittees for the Peabody Awards. And. Oh, wow. That was an entrant, uh, I believe that was a nomin- uh, an entrant one year and my committee got to watch it for that. All um,
0: fun.
1: Yeah, yeah that yeah. is fun. That is fun. And do you find, so I found, I mean, I kind of just binge watch TV anyway. I don't really watch um, like live television, um, but I found in the pandemic that um, just sort of drawn to needing to just binge through a season of something that I have already watched that I know I like and that, you know, I'm not going to be, um, surprised and not like it. I have to know that I'm going to like it. Um,
2: yeah, Yeah, uh, that's, I, that's, I, again, I, I totally get that in terms of also a kind of comfort food thing, but also apparently there's a, I, I don't, I'm not going to get this right, because I don't remember where I read it or what the study was. But there was a study that was done that basically um, affirmed why it is that people like watching reruns of shows that they're so familiar with already. Uh-huh. Um, and, it, and it actually has a like really productive function in terms of your writing. I mean, I guess in way, like it's like waking dreaming, sort of like it allows your mind to work through certain things because it's already familiar and you already love it, um, and so I guess it has a very productive function in terms of oh, your, your writing mind. That is interesting. I think the 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 hook to that article was something about you know why do people watch Friends like seven and eight times through?
0: Or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So what's oh, the, yeah. what's the show that you have watched the most, the series that you've watched the most?
2: In my lifetime, personally? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's a great question because in some sense, I guess it depends on the phase of life. Yeah. I, uh, sure. I yeah. remember watching, like when I was a little kid, I loved heart to heart so much. Oh,
1: interesting. So yeah.
2: nice. I was like, 11 or so i think when that show was at its like zenith and i just thought it was like this really fabulous imagination of los angeles which i felt i wanted to live there and then i did and <laughs> um and yeah i just thought it was great and so i think i remember a period in graduate school and like when i took my first teaching job when they were running reruns of that at like 11 o'clock at night or something, oh, wow. and so. It was sort of like my before bed comfort food when I could still stay up past 10 o'clock.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so
2: probably a lot of heart to heart. Like I, I think I could could basically say the dialogue from most
1: episodes yeah. of
2: that show just from it being imprinted on me when I was a little kid.
1: Yeah. Um, That's so interesting. I was yeah. um, thinking this... You know, I'm thinking of like shows um, like the West Wing. I've watched five or six times in entirety. But um during Covid, like you, I kind of have gone back to, some of these shows that I remember as a kid, and I'm embarrassed to say, I don't think I've said this on the show, but Kelly, you probably won't be surprised about this, but um, The Flying Nun. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) If you haven't seen The Flying Nun, (laughs) that really holds up pretty well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know
2: if you read Sally Field's latest. She she wrote a lovely memoir of not uh, not that long ago. And she talks at great length about that experience. Oh, wow. Something.
1: How cool is and, that? And did she like it? Because the stuff that I had heard, she had said that she was embarrassed by that series. Yeah, I, I think she kind
2: of was. But I mean, like, while I think the the set, the the uh stage sound stage for flying nun was like next door to the monkeys or something. I don't I know.
1: also love the monkeys. We exactly.
2: yeah. <laughs> no, had a lot of fun like
1: during the during the breaks
2: on the set is my memory of yeah. Story.
1: But it's I was shocked when I started watching it how well that holds up. So <laughs> Um, yeah, Kelly, you need to check that out. Although no, I've seen
0: The Flying Nun, yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: okay. I mean, it's there's a lot of yes. diversity in this yes. show, and I, um, and they're pretty progressive for nuns. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> right? And
0: well, that's fantastic. So that
1: and I've watched, again, I'm embarrassed to say The Love Boat. <laughs> oh, no,
0: like, The Love Boat also has diversity. It does. Yes. It, and it holds
1: up pretty well, too.
0: Yes, no, we have The Love Boat in my house. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Chris well, has uh, watched Magnum PI at, oh, least, oh, oh, I yeah, at saying, least four or five I mean, times. Yeah,
2: okay. I would say I, I, I if I if Magnum PI were on or Rockford Files, I I wouldn't turn away like ever. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's funny. So we're almost out of time. Um, and, you know, even though these are, you know, truly serious topics that we could continue <laughs> talking on, I did want to talk a little bit about your research in part because it really um, overlays some areas of interest that Kelly has. And Kelly, I don't know if you're going to ask her some questions, but I'm particularly interested Vicki, in your, um, your interest in critical race theory, because I know Kelly has worked in that area as well. Um, what kind of stuff have you done recently? In yeah,
2: well, it? so my first book project was about the um, imagination of the American Midwest as heartland in critical moments oh. in TV history post-World wow. War II. And um, the reason for that was because I had been distressed by the ways in which the reality of African-American life and culture had been sort of in, in, written out of the Midwest. Um, and that's yeah. that was the genesis of that project, which basically uh, also really interrogated the red state, blue state mythology and insisted that it was a purple reality for many reasons. So in some ways that was, uh, and my earlier work in graduate graduate school was about uh, the films of Spike Lee, particularly the sound and music in films of Spike Lee. So, but I decided to, you know, focus for the career on television because I'm really interested in the uh, shared where, where within our culture is there still a kind of shared space? Yeah. Um, I felt that broadcast television was, was that. And so that leads me to my, my current book. Uh, it's coming out in May on sports television for Routledge. And they have a series of different, that each volume focuses on a different television genre. So mine is on sports TV, um, cool. which connects all of my interests in geography, race, and television around sports media, um, which I, again, find to be uh, the sort of space where people interrogate questions of citizenship and value and uh, expressly, explicitly talk about race in a rather open way uh, in ways that you don't find elsewhere in the culture.
1: Yeah, interesting. And it sounds like you're doing kind of serious sports as opposed to my favorite show, Holy Moly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Holy Moly is in the appendix. Oh,
0: awesome. Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I was going to ask, you know, if you're talking about – Do you get into things that happened this year? You know, obviously, Colin Kaepernick was basically ostracized, but then now everybody's embraced what Colin Kaepernick was doing. So do you get that far into it or did this sort of end before that all happened?
2: Uh, No, actually, um, one of the great uh, virtues of writing very, very slowly is that you can. (laughs) So I was actually able to address, yes, the events since May uh, in professional sports in particular.
1: Oh, that's wow. fantastic. That's great. So, Kelly, we need to get Vicki in touch with Lee, don't you think? Yes. Um, yeah, Vicki, do you know Lee Moskowitz's work? Yes, I do. Okay, well, she's a colleague of ours, um, a oh, lovely yeah. colleague. Yes, so you two need to get together. I'm going yes. to immediately email Lee and tell her to get in contact with you. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, you guys would hit it off, absolutely.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's-
1: so, Vicky, I know we only talk to each other every twenty-five years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I miss I, our lunches. I miss that's our right. Lunches. That's that was right. just the highlight always. Yeah, that, that's right. But we're at the thirty-minute mark, and so um, you know it's time to say goodbye. But let's stay in touch and come visit. Sometime in Paducah, when you need to make yes. not a cigarette run, but a a hip <laughs> a hip restaurant run, and um, and we can t- talk all things academic. And Kelly, maybe you can come, and we can you know, I don't know, see each other in person. Yeah. <laughs> that <was laughs> <a wonder. laughs> Wouldn't that be something? That would be. Um, yeah. So Vicki, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really, um, really fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thanks
0: Vicky. I'd love, I love chatting with you. I could talk about your research all day. So I really enjoyed chatting with you and I would love to see a picture of that puppy.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Says one dog person to another dog person, right?
0: <laughs> right.
1: So, and Kelly, it's always good to catch up with you. And I will see you um, again for a pretty big episode next week, right? Yes, um, big episode yeah. next week. Yeah. So, stay tuned.